0: Clarefield and Associates, is based in Sydney on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to Gadigal elders and to traditional custodians of country throughout Australia. From Clarefield and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode Of What Now? What Next? Insights into Australia's Tertiary Education Sector, Episode 82. And for those of you who've been wondering when the next episode would drop, let me start with a quick apology. I had two guests lined up for interviews in February. And I had to reschedule one, and my other guest had to reschedule herself. Uh, But we're back on track now. And in this episode, I'm joined by the Enterprise Learning Lead at UTS, Fiona Anson. Fiona's headed up the work UTS has been doing, engaging with large enterprises like Telstra, Microsoft, to develop and deliver tailor-made credit-bearing micro-credentials. Whether you work in higher education or vet, I think you'll find the detailed insights she shares really interesting. And if you are a vet provider, I think, as you'll hear from my brief musings during this interview, I think there may be an opportunity coming whereby vet providers, particularly those offering business short courses, are going to be moving more towards self-accreditation rather than the training package model because of the sheer pace and volume of change that ChatGPT and other forms of generative AI are bringing to the workplace. The world of work has changed massively in the last three months since ChatGPT was launched. And I just don't think um, that the BSB training package is going to be able to cope with the volume and nature of change. If you're interested in learning more about the types of changes that I'm looking at and thinking about in the workplace and how we train people for these rapidly changing roles, um, I'm really happy to share my slides from a recent presentation I did to the DSO's Digital Leaders Roundtable Steering Committee, and you can access them via the link in the notes for this episode. Uh, But quickly... Uh, Before I introduce Fiona and get talking to her, it's not just micro-credentials and enterprise relationships at UTS that she's working on. She's also a leading mentor to women in tech and to UTS's startup entrepreneurs. Settle back and prepare to be inspired. As you will hear, I definitely was. Well, it is a great pleasure for me. And this has been a little while coming. I think I I issued this invitation to my next guest to come on the podcast some months ago. And as we were saying, we're now rapidly advancing into 2023. But I'm delighted to be joined today by Fiona Anson, who is the Enterprise Learning Lead at UTS. Fiona, welcome and thank you for making time. I normally start by asking my guests to share a bit about their background as well as their role in the sector. Uh, and, you know, I know you a bit through your work at UTS and I'd love to know more about this Enterprise Learning Lead. That's a great job title. Uh, you do juggle other jobs, as I understand it, as as well as your role at UTS. So fill us in. Who
1: are you, what have you done, and what are you doing now? Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Claire. It's a delight to be here and really good to talk to you again. I like to, I'm a bit of a workaholic, so I like to have lots of different things keeping me busy any particular time. So to give you just a bit of a snapshot of my background, I've worked in the jobs, skills and workforce analytics space for about 15 years, and I was previously the founder and the CEO of a jobs tech, HR tech company that was acquired in 2019. It was after that business that was sold that I was asked to lead the establishment of an enterprise learning unit at UTS, and that was also in 2019. There are a couple of other things that I do. I have a passion project that's called the Jobs Agenda, and that's a conversation that I've been having and continue to have with with government, with industry, with education, with advisory firms that work in this space around the changing workforce landscape and what needs to be done to get and keep people in work. And that includes how we best address things like workforce mobility, emerging job and skill needs, the trends that we're seeing, this rapidly evolving and changing environment that we're currently in that has been no more underlined than over the last three years when it's just been a crazy time. Uh, so that that's a conversation that I like to just keep having having with, you know, relevant stakeholders in the workforce space that allows me also to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the workforce that obviously helps me with the work that I do with UTS and and the other things that I do as well. And thirdly, I mentor women who want to start and build their own tech businesses and not just women, actually, I I mentor at at UTS startups where there are lots of different, I think 500 odd different student-based and alumni-based startups. And also for a program called Tech Ready Women, which helps women who want to establish tech led businesses of their own, so they're the things that kind of keep me busy right now
0: <laughs> Keep you busy. My jaw has dropped to the ground, and i'm feeling I'm feeling exhausted just really listening uh, to to all of that, but it really seems like. When I think about the jobs and skills summit that the, the government had last year, boy, oh boy, there's an awful lot of knowledge and experience in, you have and are continuing to build on that really fits with a number of those, those key priorities that the government is looking to,
1: to roll out. So you're a very woman. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's an area I'm really passionate about. I mean, I've always believed and maybe because I love to work. I've always believed that people should be able to have a job that they love. And so that's kind of what drives me. Keep my finger on the pulse of this to, you know, how can we help more people get into work, be fulfilled in work, you know, because let's face it, you spend a lot of time in work, you know, you spend most of your life at work, so you might as well love it. And that's kind of what drives me to have these continuing discussions about How do we help people equip themselves to be in that space, to get a job that they love?
0: Brilliant. Now, I think I first saw your name writing before we met in person, and that was in relation to work that UTS had been doing with Telstra. And I think this was probably around 2020. It was helping them with micro-credentials, which were designed by UTS specifically to upskill and reskill the Telstra workforce. And since then, I think I've, I've been reading that the partnership has continued to
1: expand. Can you fill us in? Yeah, sure. So the Telstra project was a really interesting one because it was the first really big enterprise project that UTS has had done. Like we have always been very industry aligned as a university. We've always worked very closely with industry and we've always helped, you know, organisations to upskill and reskill their people. But the Telstra project was a really big one. And it was part of Telstra's large upskilling project that they had across the board. They were looking at how they they could upskill their workforce to meet Telstra's changing business needs. So Telstra were looking at changing from a pure telco to a telecommunications and technology services organisation. So they wanted to be able to offer additional services to Telstra customers. So they were looking at the different spaces that they were doing that in and then coming to universities like UTS to say, how could you help us to upskill our workforce? So UTS was one of five universities that were approached by Telstra. And each university got a specific area that they were helping Telstra with. For UTS, that area was data analytics. And they specifically wanted vendor agnostic micro-credentials that could be delivered to both employees and contractors in a number of locations, both in Australia and overseas. They also wanted us to be able to deliver those micro-credentials to the general public to help them basically expand the talent pool that Telstra and other organisations like Telstra could, could pull from. So hence, it was really important that they were vendor and technology and industry agnostic. So we worked really closely with Telstra and their subject matter experts, not only to understand specifically what they wanted, but also specifically around the content for the learners. What they told us was that they really wanted micro credentials because they knew that their their staff and their teams really valued the validity of a credential from a recognised and respected institution. So that was the first thing that we we had to bed down. But as I said, they also wanted the learning to be agnostic to industry and also agnostic to platform, and therefore we're calling them they weren't telstrified. And that was because, as I said, they knew the Telstra customers came from a variety of industries, and so their people needed to have like a universal lens on how organisations use and understand data. Now, it was a really interesting project for for UTS because back in 2019, Claire, you would be very aware that micro-credentials were still very much on the drawing board. And I guess it's kind of fair to say that, We still don't have huge amounts of clarity on what a micro-credential is. You know, various organisations have got various definitions. The government released their national micro-credential framework that says one thing, that there's currently a micro-credential pilot program that says something very different as to what a micro-credential is. So, you know, this was kind of new territory, I think, for everybody, but obviously, certainly for us as well. And so we had to kind of sit down and think about, well, what does a micro-credential mean to UTS? So I did a bit of ringing around at the time to colleagues at other institutions and also kind of you know checking out what universities were doing and what they were offering and what they were calling micro-credential. And one of the things that was apparent was that there was no universal definition of what it was, and there was a lot of uncertainty as to what they should be. And so we had to then make a decision about what is a micro-credential for UTS. So UTS chose to make our micro-credentials around two to three credit points, with each credit point counting for about 20 to 25 hours of learning. The Telstra micro-credentials specifically, two credit points each, which is around 40 hours of learning. They are delivered over eight weeks, and each week there is two hours of face-to-face learning. One of those hours is, is virtual tutorial and they are done virtually because, as I said earlier, these are delivered to people in six different countries. So they, they have to be, and, and multiple locations in Australia. So they have to be delivered virtually. So as I said, two hours face-to-face a week. One is a tutorial. One is a Q and A session with the learners. And then approximately three hours of self-paced study for the learners. That goes, as I said, over eight weeks, and then there is an assignment or assessment at the end, and the students are given two weeks to complete that during which the Q&A sessions continue to run. So there are, there's, there's 10 weeks of those Q&A sessions. Just take the micro-credential, I guess, framework further. At UTS, all of our micro-credentials have paired subjects, so they can be counted Towards credit for a particular award degree, and and as you say, it's an ongoing project. So we are still delivering this for Telstra. We have been since you rightly uh, predicted it was, or you rightly said, 2020. In fact, the date is indelible in my mind. It was the 15th of June because we were we were you know peddling like crazy to meet that deadline. So it was the 15th of June, 2020, that we started delivering these. And so far, I think we've delivered over 1,500 learners or put over 1,500 learners into these micro-credentials, and we currently have six of them. So, they're in the area of data analytics, advanced analytics. We have a a couple of machine learning micro-credentials, both foundations and advanced level, and we also have data visualisation and data engineering.
0: Well, as a woman who loves data, I'm actually so excited by everything that you've described. I'm thinking, oh, I think I might have to see if I can enrol in one. (laughs) Anyway, I'll have to get that idea out of my head because, you know, I've got to manage everything else. But um, how impressive. So thank you. Such a comprehensive overview. But what I was particularly struck with was the way that you managed to both deliver what Telstra needed You know, and hats off to them for it being, you know, platform and and vendor agnostic. Obviously, that's very strategic and sensible decision on their part. You were also able to do it within the university's accrediting processes, such that, as you say, you've you've mapped it to subjects and and it's straightforward, having Mm -hmm. done that work to to give credit for the learning.
1: Yeah, and that's really important to us because you know we we there's no point you know, just creating a micro-credential for micro-credential's sake. And then if the learner then wants to go on and, and be able to learn more, not being able to give credit for what they've already done. And so that that credit association, that association of a micro-credential to a subject, it's absolutely, you know, the foundation of of every micro-credential that we, we create. And we've got, you know, we've got so many micro-credentials now. I, I think it's probably fair to say that we're, we've probably got more than most institutions at the moment it's something we're very passionate about because we do see the changing workforce and the need to rapidly upskill is going to need need people to be able to embark on shorter forms of learning to be able to keep pace so you know with this rapidly evolving skills market, people don't have the luxury of four years or two years anymore to do a a postgraduate degree or, you know, another undergraduate degree to skill up. So, you know, whilst there'll always be a place for that, and and there always will be because it is so foundational, but I think the shorter forms of learning are going to become more and more important as we look to this lifetime of learning and how do we keep people rapidly upskilled to meet those emerging and changing demands.
0: I could not agree with you more. And I don't think you've had the the trauma of having had terribly much to do with the vet sector, but obviously there's slight digression, but I was doing a submission yesterday and I've been thinking a lot about uh, chat GPT. Not mm. so much, I mean, obviously there are implications for teaching and assessment and academic integrity, but there's a bigger challenge that faces the VET sector. And I do hope there's lots of listeners from the VET sector listening to what you've described because the profound pace of change that ChatGPT and other generative AI has brought to such a range of business services-type tasks in the three months since it was launched is really going to stress both vet providers and the, the formal systems for developing qualifications and making changes to them. And I think there are real lessons in the adaptability that you've described and that that ability to, to create that I suspect the, the vet sector is going to, to really need to to think deeply about and, and grapple with. But that's a topic probably for another podcast. Let's not get diverted. Your passion and enthusiasm for what you do just comes through in all of the answers to my questions. And going back to, you know, you described your prior experience and and the different hats that you wear. And you're obviously very passionate and, you know, deeply involved in supporting women and and men as entrepreneurs, but also helping more women into tech. And I wonder, can you share some insights into what works and what's needed? I mean, this is a priority for government and businesses. What works? What's needed to make longer-term, more sustainable change for women wanting to work in tech and particularly to set up their own businesses?
1: Yeah, look, it is an area I'm really passionate about. I think it's it's funny, if I think back to when I started my tech company, which was back in 20, 2008, 2009, we've come a long way in that 15 years. I remember going to startup events back then, and not only was I the only woman in the room, but I was the only person over 30 in the room. And I was typically surrounded by all these cool young guys in hoodies. And then there was me and, and I, but I never felt like I was different. Like I never, they never made me feel different. It's very, it's a very inclusive culture, which is what I really love about the startup culture. I've seen over that 15 years, a real change in women coming into its startups. And obviously there's some great women that are leading startups. You know, Melanie Perkins, Perkins from Canva has been you know, an absolute role model, I think, for so many women entering the tech business. And I think it's really good to see that there are now women supported programs. So as you mentioned earlier, I mentor for a program called Tech Ready Women, which was started by a lady by by the name of Christy Whitehill that I met years ago. She had a tech startup at the same time that I did. Uh, We were, as I said, one of the few women, certainly women, you know, kind of over 25 that were doing tech at the time. And so she has started this Tech Ready Women program. And the government is now supporting that, which I think is fantastic, that they're actually putting them, you know, their money behind getting these programs out to as many women as they can. And I think that's really important that we continue to see that government support for, for all people in startups, not just women, but I think often women are juggling multiple roles. Whereas, you know, sometimes that you see men and certainly younger men, you know, they can couch surf for a while and they don't have to necessarily, you know, look after kids and do all the caring stuff. But, you know, women often often have that obligation. So it's sometimes harder for women to kind of launch themselves into tech. And tech has been traditionally dominated by men, although, as I said, that's definitely changing. So I think that government support is really, really important and also then for other women to kind of step up and be role models and say, you know, this is absolutely doable. You know, my company was able to raise money. I know that there's a lot of, you know, rhetoric out there that says, oh, it's so hard for women tech, you know, entrepreneurs to raise money. You know, the money tends to go to to, companies that are owned by men. But that's not true. You know, there there are a lot of women out there that have tech companies that raise money, that sell them, that are successful. And I think it's really important for us to put ourselves out there and say, look, it is possible. And not only is it possible, but we'll support you. And that's one of the the reasons that I do the mentoring, because when I was first starting in tech, even though I had had businesses before, it was something very new to me. And there are a lot of people that held out their hand to help, you know, lots of advisors, and and most of them i have to say were men there were some women but most of them were men and they were fantastic being able to support not only myself but other startup founders so i think it's only right that i give back and support other women that are coming through you know programs like tech ready women uts startups i also mentor there and again you know there's lots of amazing companies that are coming out of uts as alumni and student base that have got really great ideas that are, you know, solving really important problems for the world. So I think, uh, you know, as I said, that it's great that the government is behind this, but I think, you know, we all have an obligation to get out there and and help as many people and certainly as many women as we can to succeed in in, um, tech-enabled startups.
0: Fiona, I could sit and chat to you all day and be inspired by you. No doubt we can't do that. But I am very grateful to you for your time and for sharing all of your insights. It's been incredibly interesting and I'm
1: sure listeners will feel the same. Thanks, Claire. It's been an absolute pleasure.